and welcome back to another installment of the Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Mamer, and I have actually two guests. Gosh, I don't think I've had two guests on at once since I don't probably like the the b- before the 2010s. But um, uh, I'm gonna give your names and and Andy, I can use your 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 full name. Yeah, I go by F. Andrew Taylor. Okay, great. Okay, well, there you go. So I've got uh, F. Andrew Taylor. Sometimes, uh, well, Celestia calls you Andy, and I have a uh, Celestia Ward on. Um, hi, Carl. Uh, hi. Hey, 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 both. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, Celestia, I'll, I know Celestia, you are uh, one of uh, a three on um, Squaring the Strange podcast. And, you know, actually, Andy, uh, I'm not too sure of your podcast. Celestia is just like, no, you got to have Andy on. He knows everything about what we want to talk about. Have him on. I'm like, I don't know this guy, but if he says he's good, I trust you. <laughs> Sorry, Andy, could you intro yourself? Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm Andy's fine. Uh, I'm ostensibly, I'm on the uh, Geek Shock podcast, uh, okay. although I haven't been for a, for a bit here because I'm I'm back taking care of my dad back east, so I haven't been. Okay. Uh, uh, but um, yeah, I'm. Uh, it's it's a it's a geek podcast where we talk about what we've been doing geeky that week, and uh, a lot of probably not your audience actually. It's probably it's it's, <laughs> uh, it's a lot more uh, uh, genital jokes than most people want in their podcast. But you know, <laughs> well, Andy, you're burying the lead there. Andy is known as Fact Check Andy. That's true. Yeah, that's on my the name on the podcast. So- he is the most skeptical minded of the bunch and pop culture and comics are kind of their jam. And Andy, you've taught about comics. You've, yes. you've won awards for drawing comics and he's yep. one of my cartoonist friends. And I'm like, we got to have Andy on too. Well, that's very nice. Right. Right. And you are, you're both cartoonists, right? And um, uh, Celestia, you do um, a caricature, you're a caricature artist. You have a company, right? Uh, well, I run Two Head Studios in Las Vegas, and yes. I have I have too many jobs to even list. But <laughs> co-hosting Squaring the Strange is one of my passion projects. And okay. uh, let's see here, I I have edited a book on comics way back when I was an academic editor, and I have taken classes on comics. And I'm I don't consider myself a huge comic aficionado. I don't know as much as okay. the super nerds but it's very hard to know as much as the super oh. nerds <laughs> and he's raising his hand there yeah okay yeah and andrew what's your connection to, to comics sorry celestia said you 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 you've written comics you've drawn yeah comics. i just simplify with saying i'm a freelance comic book a freelance art freelance artist and writer uh, but right. i've done i've done comics uh i've done uh, um, i've done editorial cartoons i've been a reporter for for a few years here and there okay. and uh um, yeah i've, I've I've always been a bit skeptical, and on the on the podcast, I'm fact checked because I don't know everything, okay. but I know when something sounds wrong, and I'll look it up while we're talking. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. all right. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna Andrew. Uh, does Prenny Press out of Windsor, Ontario, mean anything to you? Oh my gosh. Uh, they no. They, okay. Well, they for a while were like a lot of indie comics were being done out of uh, this print shop in Windsor called Prenny's. Uh, oh. There was some indie comic, I think it was an Aardvark. What was his name? I forget. I forget. I'm not actually a comic book person, but mm-hmm. it was it was an Aardvark character or something. And gosh, I wish I could remember these names. But when I worked for my student newspaper, that's where we got our 
student newspaper printed and they also and we then discovered they because you know being next to detroit and you know the the american dollar being favorable it became this hub for a lot of indie 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 comics but well, uh, you you might be interested to know carl that indie comics in a in a large way owe their existence to some conspiracy thinking all right yeah yeah so let's get into it actually so yeah so now i i heard you uh celestia i heard you um well I heard you on uh, your own podcast. You were talking about uh, moral panics and comic mm-hmm. books kind of being one of the big moral panics. And you were kind of like, oh, I wish I had more time because you were just sort of doing one little segment on, on uh, Square and the Strange. Square and the Strange with uh, Ben Radford and... Um, and pa- Pasquale Romero. Pasquale Romero. Yes. How could I forget? Yeah. And uh, a little different. It is an awesome podcast. It's like one of those podcasts where, you know, a lot of podcasts are about personalities and it's like, you know, and sometimes you just get like two or three people who lock in together and it's just, it's a great, like, like you, you, you guys could just talk about, I don't know, American football, which I don't know anything about. I don't care. No, no, I would not be okay. able to do that with, with All Ben right. and Pasquale. They All would right. know nothing about it. I would still <laughs> listen. I would still listen though. Even if you're completely uninformed, I would be like, man, you guys got, you guys got a great thing going on. Just a good, good repartee. If you want to do 80s pop music though, they've got that covered. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Ben Ben is firmly up on his '80s pop music. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. Yeah. 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 So I, so, so I said, "Hey, come on my show. Let's talk about comic books and uh, conspiracies yeah. and stuff like that." So, well, well, before we get fully started, I should sure. make Andy brag about his. He's got one more skeptical cred here. Oh, Andy yeah, is okay. the one person I know who has seen Max Gaines, who's like the the founder of Mad and EC Comics. No, no, in, in, in real life. Bill Gaines. Bill Gaines. Oops, I've got Bill Max. Gaines. Max was dead long before I was around. I'm not that old. I know. <laughs> You're fact checking me already. I meant to say Bill Gaines, and I had wrongly typed uh, Max Gaines, his father. Um, Bill Gaines, you've seen Bill Gaines in person, and you've also had the amazing Randy teach you a magic trick when you were like, what, 10 years old? Yeah. Yeah. That's that was, uh, it was exciting. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> unfortunately, when I did see him again, it was at a crowded party and it was too loud to explain that but uh i did get to see him years later and praise him to you know say something he just as far as you know i was doing a bad pantomime but yeah i I, uh i mean i was a huge mad magazine fan i i I think i had a subscription i'm i'm 55 so you know i i kind of grew up with mad in the 70s and then acquired a big stack from the 60s from my uncle he's the one who got me hooked on and yeah so so you know so uh bill gaines is i mean his image you know kind of long hair very guy gary gygax like i think dr demento of comics yeah yeah so yeah yeah, i mean his in his his, is that the one is that you 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 met you met andrew the the yeah that's the the guy beardy long haired i didn't actually meet him i i I was in the mad offices uh when i was 18 uh i managed to finagle a tour there and uh there was nobody in the office except for i think tony torres was a guy giving me the tour and everyone's at lunch and and bill was in this excitedly in his weird very big but dark office with a toy blimp hanging from the ceiling and all kinds of weird gigas so it's a very clear image but i want to get to see him and get to talk to him oh very very nice very nice and he didn't teach me a magic trick okay and 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 celestia as i discovered on uh when you were on kyle pollich's um um 
pod podcast data skeptic you the first wordpress word processor you ever used was xyrite now, yes i've never met anybody else who's also used that software I've not actually used it, but I remember I, I had a job at an insurance company, and as I was going in, Xyrate was moving out, and Word Perfect was moving in. So I'm like, you know, Xyrate, Xylitol. Yeah. It's a it's, it's a weird ass name for a a, a a a a word processor. Andrew, is this the kind of geeky things you talk about on your podcast? Like, uh, no, we tend to it's pop culture stuff and what movies are coming out, what books are coming out, okay. but uh, right. occasionally we'll get into. We have several um, uh, film students or former film students and uh, film buffs on it. So we'll get into minutiae of film stuff. Um, a lot of the people on the show were also uh, former cast members of uh, Star Trek The Experience. Oh, so, uh, you know, people on the show have uh, know the rules of acquisition by heart. And right, okay. a couple of them can speak Klingon and sing Klingon if need be. Oh, very nice. Yeah, and that that was that was in Vegas, one of the hotels in Vegas. That was the, it was, yeah, right, the, the bar or something. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it yeah. was. Uh, yeah, it was. Well, it was a attraction, and uh, it's kind of what the Star Starter Wars thing is at Disneyland now. Mm, it's a, okay. the whole environment, but it's much smaller than what they're doing there now. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. If you go to the Westgate Hotel, you can still see some kind of remnants in the oh, wall decor of like, oh, that was a little part representing the star base. Mm. Oh. They painted over it, but there's the you know, yeah, yeah, it's very sad. All yeah. the bones. Okay. Yeah. Right, now, so 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 comic like comic books. Um. Yeah. Now, now Celestia, you you had kind of a, a you you have a hypothesis that um uh, cartoonists and skepticisms. There's there's a certain uh, just as magicians and skepticism sometimes they they go together very well. You 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 feel cartoonists and skeptics uh, skepticism can. I- go together well i feel like skeptics and science in general could always i feel everybody could use more cartoons and cartoonists and i think andy and i share this opinion that comics as communication is a wonderful tool uh it's good for you know people can learn through comics uh there's a, a perennial problem that skepticism has is it's kind of dry and hard to present as an engaging exciting you know, it's not as exciting as a conspiracy theory. They do have the the drama factor way over us. Uh, we're just wallowing and going, well, actually, no, that's you have that wrong. And here, let me show you a citation. And right, right. they've got, you know, cabals of people drinking blood in basements. We we don't really <laughs> have that as a dramatic draw to get an audience. Um, right. So um, I, I've kind of been interested in how comics reach their audience mm-hmm. for decades. I mean, I, I got a- Andy's actually a friend of Scott McCloud's, a, a well-known comics. I know Scott. Uh, That's about it. I, yeah. No, you know, Scott, <laughs> uh, he's, he's a comics uh, theorist and he, he's a practice. He's a practicing cartoonist. He's got some brilliant work out there. Uh, the sculptor made me cry, um, mm-hmm. but he, he does continuing research uh, on how comics uh, communicate to people, why they reach us, how they move us. And the idea is, you know, not just to learn when you read one of Scott McCloud's books, he's got three going on four. Is that right, Andy? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a three, but maybe the fourth one, as far as uh, the, as well, as far as the ones that uh, take apart uh, the. Yeah. Uh, Understanding the- comics, uh, reinventing comics. Uh, and and then the last I, I've got the last one in the back. <laughs> um, anyway, the, he goes into the psychology of, of of all that, and the idea in his books is not just to learn how to craft better comics, 
but also to learn how our brain works to process the comics, why we identify with the protagonist of a very simply drawn little, you know, while, while we see ourselves in like a little shape, like, oh, that, mm. that triangle with legs, I feel bad for it, you know, right. <laughs> uh, where, and, and uh, Richard Wiseman, oh, he, who any skeptic should know Richard Wiseman, a, a, a well-known psychologist, uh, he, he has a recent series of comic books out. He's just recently become a comic book I don't want to say author, but creator, because he, he worked with a writer. Uh, sorry, I've got a child in the other room. I hope that's not oh, coming. That's through. all right. That's all right. Um, <laughs> I've got a raging thunderstorm, so that's going to hit any minute now. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, yes, uh, my, my husband should be able to get the child under control soon. I think he's just had his iPad taken away. <laughs> Speaking of the power of comics here. The child or the husband? <laughs> No, the husband sounds different when he cries. I'll, that, that might happen later. <laughs> but so anyway, Richard Wiseman, to get back to the topic yeah, yeah. at hand, uh, he's got a series of comic books that he has produced uh, uh, called Hocus Pocus. And he's he's approaching skeptical thought w- in the vein of uh, uh, magic history. And he tells mm-hmm. all these amazing tales about Houdini and other, you know, uh, uh, skeptical investigators and magicians and 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 also conniving like spiritualists pretending to have trumpets float in the air and everything and and he has always maintained that comics were such a great influence on him when he was younger he said he learned a lot more from comics than he did just reading words and he found it easier and so when he did his series of comic books he took the opportunity to run a little experiment and it was written up uh, just recently i think you can look it up i i didn't write it i don't have the full title of it but richard wiseman look it up he's got in a, he's got it uh, written up in a, a journal i think it's the journal of psychology uh, um anyway i i should have had that in my notes but i neglected to write down the full journal title uh talking about how uh people retained the ideas better when they saw them presented in comic form as opposed to just reading them in the word form right right yeah so i imagine it has something to do with engaging both sides of the brain and that sort of thing oh we we could get into the whole theory about both sides of the brain andy i'll have to talk to you about that later all right it's been debunked oh has it been completely yeah sometimes sometimes i miss these things all right (laughs) it was sort of a metaphor in the 70s that really caught hold from what i understand Mm -hmm. But the and, right uh, brain, left brain, yeah. like, like the right brain is, uh, you know, all intellect and the left brain is art or vice versa or something like that. Yeah. 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 And and yeah. then I, before we move on, I do have to mention there are a lot of brilliant comic uh, artists and, and comic writers uh, writing wonderful stuff. There's, you know, uh, Zach Wiener, uh, Zach Wiener Smith, <laughs> who does S, uh, S, uh, Sunday morning breakfast cereal, S, S, SB. MC, you know, comics. Uh, there's Daryl Cunningham, who has done some amazing science and skeptic themed comics. Uh, I always recommend to anybody who's looking for something to post to an anti-vaxxer, Daryl Cunningham did an amazing blog piece. Uh, you can look All it up right. on his blog on Dr. Andrew Wakefield or the no longer a doctor, Andrew right. Wakefield. Uh, and he, uh, Cunningham has just now come out with a, 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 a major book on Vladimir Putin. Oh, very so, timely, very timely. Yeah, very, very timely. So yeah. uh, it's just my opinion, but, you know, I don't feel like these, uh, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, I, I don't feel like um, these comics are 
well-known enough. I don't, I don't feel like uh, people are really making full use of their educational potential. Right. I mean, it's like on the same line, uh, uh, Jay Hosler, the clan apis does really brilliant science books that just hardly anybody knows about. And I think they're amazing. I was I was going to say that the uh, I mean uh, one thing I've noticed about conspiracies over the time while doing this podcast is that you know conspiracies tell a very appealing story they 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 they're they're a narrative that has explanatory power I mean they don't have proof but but they you know they explain certain phenomenon and now I mean Celestia you're kind of as a character artist I'm sure you're you're trying to tell a story in one panel uh and then Andrew I think maybe as a comic book artist you're trying to tell a story and but but at the same time you know like comics comic books I've noticed you know it's not a whole lot of words per panel you you're you are both trying to tell very compelling stories but i would imagine very succinctly and you know and and does that lead to you know kind of nice back door to skepticism that does that get through the brain somehow whereas as i think Celestia is sort of saying a page full of facts you know doesn't there's there's certainly less is more uh thing going on i mean uh if you if you can't tell it simply, then you just can't get it through to people. Usually, yes, yes. you've got to be able to break it down to just, uh, small digestible bits. Right. Yes. Yeah. The comics or cartoons are the the ultimate TLDR. Right. Too, yes. too long, didn't read. People who will not read a long, you know, a treatise on something will will get an idea from a comic and and run with it. And that's not necessarily a good thing because you have a <laughs> lot of misinformation memes that float around because they they have a photo and they have an image uh, and they have words underneath an image and people absorb it in their head and it gets locked away at you know in their long-term storage part of their brain and it's very hard to to pry that loose once it gets in there um one of the one of the things that i've been following is is the 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 whole pr battle with the ukrainian war right now uh, between uh, ukraine and, and russia and how, uh, if this were a different time, there would be nothing but cartoons. Right, right. But right now we have memes and cartoons. There's still some brilliant cartoons coming out. Right. Uh, and none of them are making Vladimir Putin look very good. Right. And, I'm, I'm, and this is not a new story. Like, people who know comics history know uh, about uh, the story about uh, the, the, the French king who was looked like a pear. You know the story I'm talking about, Andy? Oh. Yeah. 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 Uh, Louis the 14th. It was the 14th, right? Louis the 14th. I think 14th. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll fact check. <laughs> yeah, go, go fact check while I talk. Yeah. Uh, he uh, looked like a pear because he was overweight uh, and, and indulged in a lot of things. And so the bottom half of his face was rather large and a cartoonist drew him looking like a pear <laughs> and he was dragged into court and, and accused of, of slandering the King and his, his uh, defense was, but the King, he looks like a pear <laughs> <laughs> and he got out of prison that time. I think he did end up uh, spending some time in jail. And I, I, again, I should have taken thorough notes on this because there's a whole handful of French cartoonists uh, and I'm forgetting which exact one did the pair drawing, but uh, uh, that King Louis 50, uh, King, uh, da, 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 what is what? King Louis Philippe, uh, Louis Philippe. Is, is the artist. And 
Nope, I'll keep working. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, the a, a char- crude charcoal charcoal drawings of pears started showing up everywhere in Paris. They'd be drawn on fences and walls, and it became a rallying cry for people against the king. And it, re- it really, it, you know, started the political movement against him, or not? It 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 encapsulated the the movement against him. It also, became a rallying symbol. Also, a very early example of the Barbra Streisand effect, I, I suppose. Yes. Oh, I never thought about it that way, but that would be. Oh, fill uh-huh. in the stupid person on that. What is the Barbra Streisand effect? Uh, Celestia, did you want? Did you want to uh, take that one? I could have sworn we've talked about the Barbra Streisand effect. Um, a photographer was taking some photos of the Pacific Coast, and uh, Barbra Streisand's home was visible in one of them. And she made a big stink about it and took him to court. And as a result, because she didn't want photos of her home publicized. And as a result of the court case, the photos ended up everywhere. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Where otherwise it would have just been a quiet little part of a, uh, a, a geographical survey of the yeah. Pacific coast. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. It was just something <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 um, you know, uh, the, the shoreline sort of you know being degraded over time and right and it's it just something nobody would have ever looked at in a billion years but once yeah. we we're told not to look at it i mean that was that this sort of yeah so it's the idea that that though the moment you try to suppress some information that's when it just yeah, it yeah. springs wild so it became yeah it, so it kind of got the term barbastries in effect but yeah i was kind of looking into very much earlier examples for a thing i was writing and much earlier examples of you know that things that predated the barbastries in effect, you know, but but that would be the Barbara Streisand effect, but, but yeah, and it's and it's Charles Philippon, the lithographer okay. characters. Charles Philippon, yes, and okay. his magazine was called La Caricature. La Caricature, I okay. see, I yeah, him and Hogarth, and there's like a bunch of early ones, and I'm forgetting that. Yeah, that's what happens. I get in front of the microphone and I forget names, so oh. that's why I always try little and have notes. Named, little guy what's, named Ben Franklin too. What's that? Little cartoonist and Ben Franklin too. He did. Oh yeah, Ben there. Franklin, one of our founding fathers, was into cartooning. Yeah. So I, yeah, um, I was, I was going to say that. Yeah, I mean that. Um, I mean, you know, very political cartoons and stuff like that. Like you know, Ben Franklin uh, would be sort of an example. But how did um, let's say political? Just you know. Political cartoons may be like one panel that were in, uh, you know, like a newspaper. How did those things evolve then into like comic books where, you know, you would sit down with a comic book and read a comic book? What is the Oh, I don't know that there was a specific day, but I mean, there was the Yellow Kid, I think, was the first comic ever. And he was what, 1910s? But that's a single panel. It's a single panel with the words are weirdly on his shirt. That was the way the words were presented is there'd be a whole line of dialogue on his shirt. But those, I'm pretty sure those are single panels. There, uh, there, sequential art goes back as far as, you know, the, the Egyptians. The Egyptians are doing sequential art. Those called yeah. writing. Um, and there was John Sullivan. I, I, I want to say John Sullivan. There, there was an early uh, American artist, early French artist that did uh, paneled cartoons. Mm-hmm. And they, they didn't look like the comics of today. They had these very fancy script writing underneath of each panel. But it would be these these scenes of like, you know, people eating at this banquet and there'd be funny things happening and very overweight people and, you know, the, the grossness of the upper classes and everything. And they'd be sold as uh, like uh, prints, like woodcuts. Uh, (laughs) But uh, really the comics culture and comic books there, the true heyday was in the, you know, forties and fifties. That's when they had exploded 
enormously to the point where it was the main thing people consumed. So did World War II, did that kind of spur on comics? Like what would might be? Oh, it what? certainly didn't hurt. I mean, the comics really begin in the 30s when they start collecting, when, well, when Max Gaines uh, starts collecting together mm-hmm. uh, collections of comic strips in the newspapers because first is a giveaway, and then he realizes they can make money off them by selling those as the comics. Okay. And then they start creating, uh, instead of reprinting, they start creating original content. Okay. Uh, but um, yeah, by the forties, it's definitely hitting full swing, and that's when superheroes are big. But it went in phases. I mean, there'd be, I mean, it, there's a, a conceit that you know the crime books push out for, uh, superhero books. That's, that's not the case. This, this every little movement had a wave, and then superheroes stopped being interesting, and they started doing you know uh archie type comics and they started doing this type of comics and there's always yeah. some holdover on each each group and-, and there's and there's there's hybridization i mean like the the creators of a superhero title would try to capitalize on the the growing interest in uh horror comics by having their superhero fight you know the evil horror from the depths of such and such you know so uh you know they definitely sort of cross pollinate mm. Um, but in World War II, it, it was easy for soldiers to carry around comic books and trade them and everything. And uh, it definitely brought an adult market home because when all the soldiers came back, you know, you have this group of young men who read a lot of comics who were still interested in reading comics. And therefore, you had publishers, you know, more like Japan is right now than the U.S. is today. Uh, a lot of adult content was being churned out. A lot of crime comics, right. horror comics, uh, romance comics for the ladies, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so there was definitely stuff out there that was not intended for kids. Right. But at the same time, there was a lot of stuff for kids and it was easy for kids to get their hands on it because unlike, you know, kids weren't going out buying copies of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Right. That was a very expensive tome. But if you had five cents, you could right. buy a comic. Right. Also, the Encyclopedia Britannica is really hard to put in your back pocket. Yes, you <laughs> hold, can't roll it up and yeah, hold it over or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's true. Now, now you at the um, I mean, comics had a very because uh, obviously they're you know I imagine soldiers away lonely you know you, you, maybe you want to titillate as much as you want to sort of amuse like is is it was that sort of an aspect of of early comics. Well, not. I mean, there's a certain amount of sexy girls drawn in early comics, which is kind of a holdover from uh, the pulp, pulp, uh, pulp fiction with the you know spicy this and spicy that, which is the safer word for saying sexy. Um, yeah. So there's some of that, but there's nothing overt. Although in the comics that are being published just for the soldiers. There's a lot more. Like there's some topless, sexy pictures right. uh, in uh, I can't remember the name, but there's oh, Torchy. I think Torchy was one of the uh, early ones, which sort of appear in little strips in the uh, in the, the publications just for the soldiers. Right. Okay. And it's what too. Like I mean, you know, you had um, obviously war on. You know, you had a lot of uh, men away fighting, and then back on the home front, you know, you would have like very young people and very old people, but there, there's probably a group of people in the middle who would be like, you know, you might be 25, but you were just not fit for military service. I mean, how much of comic books kind of appealed to that? Like, you know, 
they're trying to live now vicariously, like, uh, you know, that, um, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to fight Hitler because, you know, I'm 4F or whatever, but I can read these comics and fantasize about it. it, it you're, you're thinking of the whole origin story of, uh, of Captain America is what you're thinking. Of. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, they, they, the comics aren't huge. I mean, they are building in the 40s, but there is a paper shortage, too. So that's, mm, okay. that's a commodity that's, that's mm-hmm. rationed, so. Right, they really don't burst into full flower until the four, until the late forties. Okay. Yeah, right. and and also people who were fighting in the war and came back. Uh, th- there's this whole moral aspect to it, uh, to the culture of the time, where they're you know the these soldiers have come home, they immediately have a bunch of kids, or and the kids that are growing up in the fifties are not this you know not the same kids that went and fought World War II. Okay. Now we're in the Cold War in the 50s. Right. And there's a couple of things that kind of all happen at the same time culturally to create the context of the moral panic of, you know, involving right. comic books. Um, things that are apart from comic books that are not that, that, that we have now understood do not connect to comic books. Right, right. But the cultural things, the streams that were happening were juvenile delinquency was becoming a thing that people noticed and people were starting to study, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that leads into like biker gangs and everything like that. But juvenile delinquency be- started becoming a big worry. Also, uh, there were a number of high profile scandals and uh, there was some cheating in college and high school sports that that started showing up in the news. And even West Point uh, had, had a big uh, cheating scandal. So right. people were watching this and thinking, oh, God, these young people, there's so much delinquency and they're, they're cheating at sports. And really, the moral fortitude is decaying here. And at the same time, the generation that fought in World War II was worried about the communist threat, worried about the, the, the you know, the, the Ruskies taking over. Mm-hmm. And they were looking at the American children going, well, we fought, you know, we had the moral fortitude to fight mm-hmm. in the World War. But what about our kids? They, they're going to need to have the moral fortitude to fight some kind of, you know, World War III when it happens. You know, oh, it always comes back. You got to, you got to, you got to protect the kids. Yeah, you gotta, those you kids. Gotta, so won't someone think of the children, you know? And so they're worried that their kids are just going to huddle under a desk and read a comic book, you know? Right. <laughs> or, or, or more worryingly, they're going to be on the wrong side of any sort of moral uh, 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 tug of war here. Right, right. So, 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 um, you, you know, obviously, this sort of set off kind of a bit of a moral panic. Like, what, what might have been? It, was there anything that kind of lit that moral panic fire specifically? Like, you know, did a, did a bunch of kids kill themselves and they were holding, you know, like you know, goober knife comics or something? Or you know, no, it, I mean, really, you can you can set it back to that one guy. You can set under Frederick Wortham, who wrote the book Seduction of the Innocent, which was yeah, right. connected connected uh comic book reading with all kinds of things uh that were not good you know all the juvenile delinquency and, uh, and all these crimes were again yeah, stop the crime it's, the crime is rising no it isn't but okay yeah. um you know but um yeah i mean he he wrote he's a psychologist that I mean, you probably have more notes of the 90s selection but he's a psychologist who wrote a book that connected <laughs> everything to to new you know bad well, stuff he- juvenile delinquency and 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 part of his reasoning was that Every kid he he was worked with uh, he worked with troubled kids. He worked with kids that were in a an asylum at the time, you know. Uh, and uh, you know, a lot of these kids talked about reading comics and like, yeah, they were all reading comics then. A lot of those kids wore pants. 
A lot of those kids, yeah. There is a lot of correlation does not equal causation going on in this. And uh, and like I said, the whole everybody was worried about the future of the children. They were, you know, looking at all these dangers. And at the same time in history, comic books were at their apex of popularity and horror comics. Remember how Andy was saying they kind of come in waves like the romance comics will be really popular and then the superhero comics will be really popular. Horror and crime comics were the thing in the early 1950s. So EC, which by now had had moved from uh, the hands of Max Gaines into the hands of his son, Bill Gaines, Mm -hmm. and kind of changed from educational comics, EC, to entertaining comics, EC. He he changed the name about a year after he took it over. Yeah, well, the the way I read it it was kind of like business... They kind of had two different streams and it just kind of, he took the funding out of one division and moved it into another division. Yeah. But yeah, the simple way to put it is he changed the name. <laughs> yeah. Like the learning I mean, channel became TLC. He was still publishing Bible stories at the same time as doing the horror <laughs> comics. So. Yeah. So yeah, EC really kind of was the, the major racehorse. Uh, and, and as, as, as Bill Gaines admitted in the Senate hearings, which we'll talk about in a moment, <laughs> uh, he invented the comics or uh, the, the horror comic genre. Okay. He employed the likes of Jack Davis, who did some brilliant, amazing covers of like Tales from the Crypt and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, suspense, story, sur- suspense stories and The Vault of Horror. And he had the, the, these three big titles. And because of EC's success with that, mm-hmm. there was like literally a hundred imitators. So there were a ton of people trying to pull off the same kind of magic and get the same sort of popularity. And, you know, as you know, as you've probably observed with anything that tries to be a cheap imitation, they're going to get grosser. They're going to be not as good. And they're going to be easy targets for like, look at this awful dreck. And mm-hmm. although you really can point to a lot of the stuff Bill Gaines produced and say, that's a little bit, you know, over the top as, as happened in the, in the hearings. They had some of the best artists. So they had some of the yeah. best score. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to do gore well, just look at some of that old Jack Davis stuff. When was Jack Davis? Was he did Tales from the Crypt? Was that one of his? Uh, he was one of the artists there, um, uh, but they had you know a lot of the people end up doing Mad Magazine eventually. And, uh, <laughs> Bill Bill Elder and uh, oh, no, Wildwood's a little later, but uh, yeah, I mean anybody who's very good at that time is. Well, hopefully yeah. working around for several companies, yeah. but uh, maybe under different names. But yeah. yeah, but but Frederick Wortham, the psychologist, he wasn't the first one by any means to criticize mm-hmm. comics. Uh, comics had been under fire pretty much every decade or so that comics were a thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, in, in the one of the precursors was a guy named Sterling North, who was a children's book illustrator or not illustrator writer. He was a children's book writer. And in 1940, he wrote uh, this scathing like op-ed and had it published in the Chicago Daily News and you know, talked about how, oh, you know, this uh, pap, this, you know, pabulum, the children, it's, it's numbing their minds and it's making them not be satisfied with, with good, morally upright children's literature like mine, which you should buy instead. <laughs> Should be looking at my stuff. Yeah, we got to protect the innocent, which is actually a phrase he used in the article and says the innocent, which yes. worth a mutually what you grab, grab later on. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, uh, and there were, there were also uh, government entities that were looking at comics uh, leading up to the 1950s. Um, uh, this, uh, let me see here, just a real quick, the Senate subcommittee to investigate crime in interstate commerce uh, mentioned comics. And that was in 1950 and New York state joint legislative community, the New York state joint legislative committee to study comics in 1951. Also both of those committees brought, uh, Frederick Wortham to come testify and talk about the evils of comics right. and how, I mean, people, some people were literally worried that it was giving all of American children brain damage. The more they read comic books, you know, you know, it sort of reminds me that, um, you know, I mean, coming back to conspiracies, right. I mean, one of the appeals of conspiracy is that, you know, it takes all of the randomness out there that, you know, might, kill you or you know ruin your day and kind of compresses it down into uh you know what, what i think uh, moral panics they call like the, the folk devil right that and if yeah. we just get rid of this problem solved and and that's a very appealing so yeah you know it's like why are you know 50s era kids indolent and you know maybe you know teen delinquency is rising well it's not because we've put them all in suburbs and they've got they're bored right you know this is this is the this is the best life they could possibly have because when we were that age we were fighting a war and then we we're living in crappy apartments in brooklyn and now we're living in these nice suburbs and so it can't be that wonderful life we provided them it's got to be the comic books yeah well in comic books i, I mean the the a book that i edited like 20 years ago <laughs> which i had to go back and reread because you know you forget after 20 years one of the first projects i got to work on uh, as an academic editor was a uh, uh, bradford wright's uh, book, a uh, comic book nation, the transformation of youth. Uh, what is the subtitle here? Hold on a second. Again, I edited it, but I, you know, you rarely say subtitles, uh, but this one's important here. The yeah, transformation of-, of youth culture in America. Yeah, I had it right. <laughs> and comics, you know, they came to define youth culture at a, at a time in America when youth culture started being defined period. I mean, people right, didn't that's think a new thing. Yeah, teenagers, the word teenager started being used in the 50s. You didn't, prior to that, it was just like, well, my kid, you know, doesn't have pubic hair now. Oh, now right. he does. Now he works in a factory and has, <laughs> right. and has a wife. So you know? Straight from being kid to workhouse. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, suddenly there, there's a stage after the bar mitzvah where you're a youth and you have hormones and you're starting to get big and stronger and and you don't have a job yet probably so you you have time on your hands and you can read something and maybe get into some trouble and then the adults freak out and write write all sorts of studies about you well it's frederick worth of two i mean it seems there's some parallels later on with with the you know the the satanic panic where oh yeah uh, you know you had all of these experts that you know testify and show up at like oh yes though those kids listening to you know judas priest definitely killed themselves with shotguns because of the backmasking and 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 you know when you look into their background it's like yeah you got your phd from a you know diploma mill like, like I, I mean was this was this worth him guy was i mean was he legit yeah, I mean, he was. I mean, definitely had the background. He was. He was working at a the, the Bellevue, was Bellevue, or one of those. He's working yeah. at one of the major, major, uh, as they called them, madhouses at the time. Right. Yeah. But yeah, his method was not scientific. Okay. Well, his method for the book was not scientific. There, Wortham, as I as I read more about him, he's kind of a mixed bag. 
he, you know, he was a Jewish American psychiatrist in, in the 50s and, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, living and practicing in New York. And the irony is that in a lot of ways, he was fairly progressive and he wasn't always on the wrong side of things. In fact, later on in his life, he really regretted that his name became synonymous with censoring comics and he tried to really distance himself from it. Um, but yeah, yeah. But that was after decades of fighting real hard to have any kind of comic just, you know, utterly, you know, tossed away. Uh, but he was, uh, uh, you know, way before uh, desegregation and, and civil rights, he was treating uh, poorer black patients uh, in New York. And he also authored some stuff about the, the, the effect of stress on the brain's development. Uh, and his work was actually cited in some of the de- desegregation cases of the time, including Brown versus Board of Education. Right, okay. So you think he was like the, one of the first pop psychologists? You think he was like one of the first celebrity psychologists, psychologists people knew the name of? I I don't know if he was the Dr. Phil of his time. He had a degree. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm, but I mean, it was probably as far as, as a well-known psychologist. Or, I don't think there were a lot of well-known psychologists before that. Again, well, Freud and he, Jung and then him. Yeah, he was kind of a, you know, he definitely uh, evoked uh, images of Freud with his accent when he testified. <laughs> But uh, but he, you know, and again, just like any good conspiracy theory has some kind of filaments of truth. Uh, one of the arguments that Wortham had against, you know, comics was that there were they were racist and had anti-Semitic stereotypes and and, and bad stereotypes uh, for, for all the various non-white races. And he was pointing to the jungle comics and some of the war comics depicting Asians as these like yellow monstrosities. <laughs> And he had a point. <laughs> he absolutely had a point, you know, in terms of that. Uh, and Even if all- they were done lovingly, there were some awful, awful. So, I mean, uh, Will Eisner, brilliant comic artist, uh, did a comic called The Spirit that is just insanely groundbreaking. But one of his characters is a little boy named Ebony who's talked that, that, and, you know, oh, God. Ugh, it's cringe words <laughs> when you see those things. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of cringe uh, from, from modern eyes looking back at, at some of this stuff. Uh, and, and as a skeptic, uh, Dr. Wortham also attacked the fact that they had these advertisements in comic books. And you know the advertisements I'm talking about, you know, the X-ray specs, the, you know, Dr. Bondo's yeah, Miracle X-ray Muscle Pills. Specs. And yeah, he said, these are, these are awful. They, they have false promises uh, and they're, they're tricking kids into believing that this kind of stuff works. And yeah, as a skeptic and, you know, consumer, consumer advocate, you you don't like advertisements that are, that are, you know, bunk. So that, that's the extent of the points I'm giving Dr. Frederick Wortham here, because he also, and that's what we're talking about here. He also thought comics of all kinds turned brains kids into mush and would turn them into Nazis. He, you know, he had, a, he had a big vein of like, you know, the comics are like pushing the, the white Aryan, you know, right, right. this is how Hitler would, would brainwash kids. And, and also the term brainwashing, just the idea of brainwashing was starting to come into popularity at this time. Uh, also had he, a very wide definition of crime comics. You know, like very every, any, every, anything that had crime in it. Yeah. The cowboy comics were crime comics because there was, you know, somebody was doing crime yeah. in there. If Scrooge McDuck took a penny from his his nephew's allowance, it would Funny be animal it crime. Would, would make it a crime comic book. Yeah, duck on duck crime. Yeah, that's the worst kind, man. Mm. But uh, and he also thought comics caused homosexuality. Right. 
Uh, I'm fairly sure that's been debunked. Um, okay. <laughs> but he, he based he based this uh, this proclamation on the fact that he had uh, an interview, one interview with a 15 year old male sex worker. Okay. Uh, and and the young boy admitted that he read lots of comics. Right. Case closed. I know. Draw the, the, the and the, also wore pants. <laughs> You seem to be, be very anti-pants, uh, Andy. <laughs> well, you know, it is pandemic times. We're not all ready to get back into hard pants. No, no, we're not. <laughs> Andrew, uh, Celestia had a had a uh, had a note in her, her show notes that uh, uh, the, the the name Bruce, how the name Bruce became associated with uh, with gay people. What is? The, yeah, uh, I mean, you had a, you had a story there. I mean, this, this, is, this is still a bit of a theory. I'm still I'm okay. still doing the research okay. on it, but during the trials, during the uh, the Kefauver trials, when okay. he's talking, he brings up the fact that. Bruce Wayne lives with his, his boy ward. And uh, I mean, there's, there's other reasons. I mean, you can easily whisp Ruth, you know, Bruce. Um, okay. But I mean, I've been looking, I've been, I've been looking into it for a few days since I said that sort of wild statement to Celestia. And uh, it seems like it's something that starts taking place in the sixties. Johnny Carson starts making jokes where the, the stereotypical gay name is Bruce. And mm-hmm. you know, Bruce was a macho name before that. That was, that was in fact, uh, uh, when they did the Hulk comic, when they did the Hulk um, TV series, they Bruce changed Banner, the name because yeah. Bruce was yeah, David Banner in the, you know, in the TV show. I had never picked that up. That's right. Yeah. I, I mean, the the Hulk TV show was one of the things that I cut my teeth on as a young yeah. kid. I, I, it was, if I could stay up and manage to cajole my parents and letting me watch part of the Hulk, it was a good night. Right. And yeah. it wasn't Bruce Banner there. It was David Banner. Yeah. Well, on the gravestone, it says David Bruce Banner. They covered their bases. But oh. <laughs> now I, I, I you know, that, you know, Bruce being associated with like, you know, a stereotypical, say, gay, gay name. Because I know Anita Bryant, and this is probably another I, moral panic you guys might have covered. Uh, Anita Bryant, you know, I, we're, Andrew, you and I are probably old enough. I don't know, yep. Celestia, but remember the whole Anita Bryant campaign. Come to against, the Florida Sunshine yeah, Tree. Exactly. Yes. She was big into orange juice and, and just spokesperson for Florida oranges and then decided that she's going to spend the rest of her life campaigning against gay people. And then she. She had this throwaway line, like it's you know, you know, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam, not and, Adam and Steve. No, 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 not, no. Adam not, and Bruce. For Adam her. and oh. Bruce. She's yeah. Bruce. And yeah. okay. and then um, Jerry Falwell. Uh, he then, I believe, it was Jerry Falwell. He's like, that's too good of a line, but he changed it to Adam and Steve. He was the one that then you know had that not Adam and Eve. You know. Or not Adam and Steve, it's Adam and Eve. Yeah, right. yeah. But uh, from a comedic standpoint, that's a much better line. It's still terrible. Stuck. Yes, yes. Uh, I go to religious leaders for all my comedy. So, <laughs> well, unintentional. That's for that's for for sure. Yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, I mean, it, it, certainly at that point with the with the hearings, which took place in like 1953 to 54, uh, he uh, Frederick Wortham uh, he called them. I'll, I'll, I wrote down a quote here: Batman and Robin were quote a wish dream of two a, a wish dream of two homosexuals living together and he noted that robin had bare legs and often stood with his legs apart accentuating his genital region <laughs> and he he said he had interviewed one homosexual right one uh, again again 
a legion of one. Yo, this this whole book, this is four hundred pages, where the only academic part of it is his credentials. He wrote, you know, the fact that he has professorial credentials was the only academic part of this book. It was all just anecdotes and like basing things on one experience. And he had one interview with a homosexual who said, yeah, sometimes I fantasize about being Batman or being Robin. Mm-hmm. Have either of you seen the Captain, not not the Captain America we know today, but I believe in the late 1970s, there was a, I don't know if it was a TV series or it was just a series of like TV movies, a Captain America. Did you ever see there was a uh, there was a movie in the '90s, and there was a brief TV. I think it was a made-for-TV movie. Yeah, it was yeah. not good. Yeah, this was in the '70s, and my my friend and I we 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 watched it, and the the one from the '70s, and it really jumped out at us. Like the there is a lot of very latent homoeroticism, kind of like you know how they like they would legitimately do this sometimes, sort of put in some homoeroticism in movies and just sneak it by the censors. I think, uh, was it Spartacus was kind of no. famous for that. The, you know, there was, um, and we're just kind of watching that and just going, is this intentional or was it, I mean, it was the seventies, the disco era. I don't know, but, but um, yeah, but I mean, it's, you know, did, did, I mean, there must've been gay people who wrote comics and that, that's, that's actually a whole subgenre genre of, yeah. of comic scholarship is okay. looking at some of the creators, looking at, uh, you know, in, in indications that they may have put some kind of uh, acknowledgement of, you know, the fact that gay people exist and yes, are things yes. uh, into their comics in such a way that they could skirt the censors. Right. And so, so, so again, that's a point where there's a, there's like a, a thread of, truth to what Werther was yeah. saying like okay maybe there are some you know gay undertones to some some works but not in the way that he's thinking like not to not to mind control your children into being you know a particular yes. uh, a, a sexual uh, uh, orientation right Wortham, he's not a butterscotch candy yeah. Oh, do I? Did I say Werther again? Oh my gosh, <laughs> Frederick Wortham. See, I, I feel bad. Listeners are going to find out how heavily I edit my own podcast to yeah. take out all the times I flub a name. <laughs> That's why I'm not talking much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, the, you know, the um, I mean, it also sort of seems interesting that to that, I mean, while you had um um uh. uh Wortham, was that how we pronounce this name? Wortham yeah. with an M. Wor- Wortham, yeah. Well, yeah. Wortham. And I'm not sure it's Frederick and not Friedrich, but I haven't looked okay. that up. Okay. Now, he was he, he was of Jewish ancestry, right? I believe Jewish German, yeah, yeah, and and so he, but he's trying to warn. There, oh, there's the anti-Semitism, there's the racism, and you know, and it, you know, turn your kids gay. Uh, but it, you know, it seemed to me that the, you know the sort of the the right wing kind of middle class america that then ran with this as the new bogeyman kind of f- flipped that 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 you know that it's that you know you know jews and and you know black people and gay people are the ones pushing this onto your 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 kids that that it you know it's very possible that if Frederick Wortham were alive today doing the same kind of stuff, <laughs> he might be targeted by, you know, the, the Alex Joneses of, right. of, you know, of, of our culture uh, as a, as a social, you know, justice warrior or something. It's right. possible. Right. But, but by the same token, he, you know, he's, he's definitely not the hero in, in the story <laughs> of the comic book, Moral Panic. Uh, he, uh, 
And here's where the conspiracy stuff comes in. He, he produced this. He was frustrated because he had testified at these various local, you know, right. governmental committees and nothing had really happened. A couple right. of bills had gone to governors, but they weren't signed uh, into law. Uh, you know, and people were pretty big on the First Amendment. And, you know, you have the right to create what you want and sell what you want. Um, but Wortham, uh, he, he went the standard conspiracy route when, when it came to this 400 page book he produced. And it, it was just full of these. He, he 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 didn't actually use the phrase big comic book, <laughs> but uh, he said that every everyone and anyone uh, who opposed his view of what the comic book industry was doing was a paid apologist for the industry. They were shills and uh, people, you know, the higher ups, this elite group of money makers, the, the publishers were forcing vendors to carry their wares. They were using tactics, you know, the way that Hollywood used to do with uh, what they called block booking, uh, which was just newly uh, made an illegal practice. Um they were uh, they were forcing the, the the books to be sold, and they were also forcing the creators to create it. According to him, like, oh, uh, you know, the, even the creators uh, didn't want to do this awful stuff, but they were forced to. And of course, it was all the the the, the victims and all this were the children. You know, they weren't having adrenochrome harvested from their blood, <laughs> <laughs> but their brains were being turned into mush by these evil comic book uh, publishers. And I'm going to quote, you know, the author that I was you know, lucky to work with early in my career, Bradford Wright in comic book nation. He noted that quote, conspiracy rhetoric, in fact, pervaded much of seduction. Wortham evoked an image of a large and pervasive industry cloaked in secrecy, masterminded by a ruthless few and operating on young defenseless minds. Wortham also charged that comic book publishers colluded to force writers and artists into producing crime and horror comics. Most of the individuals who wrote and drew comics, he insisted, were decent people who had no choice but to create this filth so publishers could sell it to children. End quote. <laughs> yep. And, and the weird part is there is sort of a comics cabal, but it ends up working against Gaines. Yeah. Uh, when when Gaines the so sorry to jump ahead here, but the uh, the uh, where this ends up is eventually the to protect themselves, the comics creators decide we need to create our own. Basically, the MPA what's the MPA? Is that right? The, uh, yeah, the motion pictures. Yeah, yeah. yeah they've, they've been basically ratings kind of thing. They they they. But in fact, they, Gaines is the one that brings the comic book publishers together and says we need to do this before they do it to us. Right. Right. And the, Everybody but Gaines goes, okay, well, the first thing we do is to get rid of the words, no comics with the word crime, horror, or terror in the cover. And he's like, what? And yeah, that's and a catalog. That's his out. entire catalog, yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, so they, they basically, they mean the comic code gets created. Uh, uh, the president is the president of Archie Comics. So, you know, <laughs> kind of clean and wholesome group. Uh, the first person they offer to be their, their Wayne watchdog to, to oversee which comics should be uh, allowed to have the comic code seal of approval is Wortham. He refuses it because he still thinks comics are terrible, but he oh, yeah. was he offered was the job. He was never satisfied with, I mean, the comics code became famous for how unbelievably strict it was. It went way beyond. And weird and weird. <laughs> no mention of vampirism or werewolfism or you know, <laughs> basically. And Bill Gaines had every right to believe, oh my God, they've just targeted me and my yeah. company. 
they pretty much just read all the EC comics and said, can't do that. 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 And Andy, weren't you telling me they, they, they had to come up with a different name for zombies yeah. because the in the seventies, they, they, they relaxed the whole thing. They started, you can use horror characters. You can use vampires. You can use werewolves as long as you're using the classic vampires and werewolves. So Marvel swing, you know, werewolf by night and, and the tomb of Dracula. Uh, but they've got a character named Brother Brother Voodoo, who's a you know who deals a lot with the zombies. But you can't say zombies because there isn't a classic zombie book they can fall back on. They can't go back you know 100 years and say. And the and word so, was forbidden. Zuvembi. They they, they yes, they can't use zombie. So they can't. They said the Walking Dead, but they they get around it by using the word Zuvembi. You know, Brother Voodoo is constantly fighting Zuvembis. <laughs> so they had to add a syllable. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, were, any, yeah. were any careers ruined by uh, any many, of this? Many, 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 many careers. Mm. Uh, the the work the amount of working artists and writers in the comic book industry was basically slashed in half. Okay. Mm. Uh, and and the sad thing is, a lot of those creators were women and minor- minorities because this was a field mm. where I mean, when you think about it, you know, it wasn't you know, talking in front of a crowd. It wasn't acting on a motion picture screen. It was creating, but it was creating it from a desk. You know, you could yes. sign your work with initials and nobody would know right. if you were male or female or black or white or, or Latino or, you know. And so, those that stayed became ashamed of their, their, uh, their job. They, they wouldn't, you know, in a party, it wouldn't say you're a comic artist. You'd say, I'm a illustrator. Commercial yeah. illustrator. <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, the, the the mere fact Stanley is Stanley is because he was a little embarrassed about being in the comic industry. Uh, Stanley Lieber became Stanley as his pen name for comics, and then away he goes. He had another name, Stanley. Stanley Lieber. He was Stanley oh. Lieber until he started putting the pen name Stanley, and <laughs> you know, on these comics, he was not going to be. He's going to be a famous writer after this, but he doesn't want to be connecting Stanley Lieber with these damn comics and. Was, was that his idea of just like, you know, like Superman puts on the glasses and, no right. one knows, you know, Clark Kent. And so just if I just draw my last name, no one's going to connect Stan Lee to not even not even his whole last name. He drops half of his last name yeah. goes from Lieber to Lee. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we probably would be remiss if we didn't mention, well, knowing that this this code is what resulted from the Senate hearings uh, where. Uh, America in general got to see Bill Gaines face off against Frederick Wortham. And that was, that was something to see. You can look up, you know, snippets of this online and Bill Gaines got a couple of zingers in. Uh, He, you know, he, he opened up with, uh, how did it go exactly? He was, uh, he was saying, you know, I, I, he took full responsibility. He's like, I created horror comics. Uh, You know, the responsibility falls on me. But I would sooner be able to explain the sublimity of love, you know, the sublime nature of love or something to a frigid old maid than explain the lure of horror, horror stories to Frederick Wortham. But then yeah. after that, he kind of got picked apart by a lot of senators who wanted. Yeah, it's, it's it, when you get into specific there, yeah, yeah. when you get into let's try this one more time. When you <laughs> get into specifics of what he's got on the page, it's and you're saying it out loud it's weird trying to defend it you know there's there's a cover of somebody's beheaded you know somebody's head and it's like you know and they're saying what do you think do you think this is a good taste well i i think the way it's presented is in good taste i think if you know if the head was a little further up so you could see the cut off neck and the blood dripping that'd be worse <laughs> and i just found out 
today when I was looking into this that he said that because that was the way it was drawn and he actually cribbed it. Yeah, that was the first draft that he had to clean up yeah, a little bit. Yeah, cleaned up that. <laughs> He's like, yeah. well, originally the artist wanted to put the body visible with the with the with the cut off neck and a pool of blood. Yeah, but you can you can see the whole and he also um, he was on uh, diet pills at the time and they faded in the middle of it. So he's crashing hard. Oh, and yeah. if you look at the transcript, you can see him crashing You can see it's getting harder, harder for the answer of those stuff, which the transcripts are available online. It's definitely worth reading through if you're into this. Yeah, but he 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 was not pleased with the comics code uh that that the uh the group of uh industry representatives came up with uh it was again it was targeting him i mean ec went from so you know, like being the top of the of the of the of the crest of the wave here to you know almost all their titles just got obliterated and mad magazine was what survived and and he got the last laugh because mad magazine is is legendary now it it, it lasted longer than any of the other stuff um, but uh, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Judgment Day. Uh, and that was a story that came out in uh, 1953's uh, Weird yeah. Fantasy. And uh, Bill Gaines and the, the comic czar, you know, Judge Murphy. And, and Judge Murphy was a good choice. I mean, he had a nice, like, Catholic name because the, the Catholic, uh, there were a lot of Catholic organizations up in arms against comics, too, because, you know, why would we leave the Catholics out there? You know, they like a good... <laughs> they they love they love themselves a good moral panic. They they like their leagues and they like their decency. Yes, is <laughs> indeed indeed. And they were uh, anyway. Judge Murphy was a good choice. He pleased everybody that needed to be pleased, and he immediately employed like a an army of female educators and social workers to look over every last panel of all the comics that were submitted. Oh, for or approval. as games called them, all the little old ladies. All the little old ladies. We've got to make, got to be careful of all the little old ladies. So this story, Judgment Day, uh, they, they submit it. And uh, uh, Judge Charles Murphy, uh, he's like, he, he wants to make all these changes. One of the changes he wants to make is the last panel reveals the main character to be black. And they didn't, Judge Murphy didn't come out and say, nope, don't want the black, don't want the protagonist to be black. What he said was, you can see sweat dripping on the, the face of the main character in the last panel, uh, which is, uh, you know, seeing the sweat on, you know, on, on the face of a black man. It's it's distasteful. You change him to a white man. And the whole point of Judgment Day would uh, would just fall away if the character was white. Right. The, the story is about uh, uh, somebody from some authority coming to a planet where which is populated by orange robots and blue robots and they're they're fighting in conflict and they're he's trying to figure out whether they're ready to go join society ready to join the galactic and uh at the, the last panel that guy who's there judging that takes the helmet off and it's a black guy yeah and it's actually if you can again you can google this and read the story there's some very moving like well done social commentary Mm-hmm. In terms of like, you know, he visits the plant that builds the orange robots and he visits the plant that builds the the blue robots. He points out that the only difference is the color of the outside, you know, sheathing of the robot. And he talks about the different how, how the, the blue robots have lesser funding to program their robots and put them in the, the educator terminal or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and the orange robots like, well, it's not my fault. That's just the way it's always been, you know. And he's like, 
I don't think your planet is ready to join the galactic, you know, such and such, you know, until you see the problem of the way your society is set up. Mm-hmm. And that story does not end well unless you take the helmet off and it's a black man. Right, yes. It doesn't work any other way. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it, it, rather than uh, rather than capitu- c- capitulate to that, uh, uh, Bill Gaines said, you know, go pound sand. I'm publishing that's, this without that's, your. That's, that's a nice euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, and so he didn't he didn't worry about getting the the codes approval for a lot of stuff he did. I imagine if you if you uh, did not have the codes approval, the little stamp on your comic book, you know, you know, Seven Eleven wouldn't carry it. Like, what was the what oh, was well, the... you couldn't even get it distributed. You couldn't get it okay. made into uh, unopened. Un, un, un uh, bundles of comics were coming back because they didn't have the seal on them. Yes. Uh, and, and all through, I mean, the, the comics code, a lot of people don't realize that the code was not fully abandoned okay. and, you know, by, by all the publishers until 2011. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm. Although and, it really wasn't heavily enforced in the yeah, last, there was a lot shipped it. away. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm thinking heavy metal that uh, that might not. <laughs> well, that's the that's the trick. If it's a magazine, it's not covered under the comic book authority. It's a different distribution system. And Mad I, Magazine was a magazine. They even had it in the title. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, initially, Mad the Mad comic looked just like a comic book, same size and everything. And eventually, it became a magazine, which falls under different rules. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, right. but legislatures in in various states after the after the hearings concluded. Uh, they they started, uh, you know, New York uh, legislature took things a little farther than the code had. And they, they prohibited they prohibited any picture book with the words crime, sex, horror or terror in the title and any representations of such things inside, of course. And uh, violations could be punished with a year in jail or a five hundred dollar fine or both. Andy, if you had been fined fined five hundred dollars for every time you depicted something like that, how much would you be in the hole? Uh, more than I am now, and I'm in the hole pretty far now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, these things gradually started relaxing, of course. But, um, uh, and yeah, and we mentioned underground comics at the very beginning of this. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that led to underground comics: the fact that there was a code. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the fact that this conspiratorial-minded pursuit of saving the children. Uh, resulted in a very draconian code uh, gave us people like R. Crumb gave us the little, you know, badly folded chap books. You had to go to a different distribution system. You had to be selling them in head shops, which is where they sold gold at first. Yeah. Um, I think the term underground comics too, actually stems from a cover of mad magazine with Harvey Kurtzman, where he's making fun of the fact that the, the, they're dragging away the current creators and they're going to have to go underground. And they says the word underground. <laughs> that I, that makes sense. Well, I was going to say that the comic strip I was thinking of, or the comic book I was thinking of was, I was called Cerebus, the aardvark. I don't know if that's. Yes. Cerebus, the aardvark, Dave yeah. Sim, brilliant, brilliant creator went crazy, unfortunately, but the, the first half of that 300 page, um, home i don't know what we call it i mean this is right, okay. it's it's a 300 page epic that's amazing for the first half and then he gets deeper and deeper into his weird misogyny um but the first half is is amazing uh yeah because when we uh, the uh i had never seen this before i 
went to Catholic school. I was so innocent. And then I, one day we just, you know, drop our flats off at Prenny's and the guy is like the owner. He's so proud of all these weirdo underground comic books he's printing and he's showing us Cerebus. And it's like, you know, topless elf maidens in bondage. <laughs> and we're just like, well, and he's like right into it. He's like, and he's, you know, we'd be my age, you know, now he's like a man in his fifties in a little cardigan sweater. And he's just like, and this one's got this elf made. And we're just like, okay, man, just, just take our flats and let's get out of here. Like mm. it was weird, but uh, yeah. I mean, actually Cerebus was, I mean, I don't think there are anybody topless. There are a couple topless from behind shots. I recall. And there's, Definitely a red Sonia, you know, chainmail bikini in there. But you know, apparently it was in showing. Apparently it was in showing a cherry pop tart, which was a porn comic drawn in the Darchy style. Yeah. It might not have been Sarah who was showing us, but like yeah. some of these things, like he had a whole, you know, a whole lot of different, you know, uh, comic books for different sort of artists. But yeah, yeah. Now what? Um, I mean, uh, you know, these these moral panics while they they never really go away because we were seeing like, you know, the Satan panic kind of coming back. And, and I imagine that, you know, that the comic book moral panic, you know, if it's hasn't come back, it, you know, it would have the potential to come back, but what kind of may kind of cooled everybody's jets? Was there any one thing that kind of, Uh, well, people started getting, (laughs) (laughs) people started getting a lot more distracted by Elvis Presley and rock and roll. Okay. It seemed like the the moral guardians of the time mm. switched their focus over to rock and roll because that seemed like a bigger threat yes, yes, uh, than comic books. Like, oh, okay, well they've they've regulated themselves now, but what's happening on the Ed Sullivan Show? Oh my God, you know. Mm. And then that gave way to the panic over video games, and it, it's you know the next big thing. Right, I mean, comics was huge in the forties and fifties, and it got bigger again in the seventies and eighties, and it, it's. It's still as a as an art form, it's wonderful, right. but it's it's economically it's it's fading off. I mean, people are mining it uh, more than they are uh, buying the actual books now. Right. Um, well, I, I mean, guess what? Am, what am I talking about? We just saw with uh, what was that Mouse that comic book Mouse has been oh, banned yeah. in yeah. Tennessee. Yeah, that that you know that you know the yeah the moral panic over comics is you know. It, it's not gone. It's still there. And well, Mouse is you know, clearly doing critical race theory. And that's apparently whatever that yeah. is, is bad. Yeah. yeah. So Mouse, Mouse is a Pulitzer award winning comic. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's brilliant. I, I, used, I, I used to teach English in Korea and my the little school I taught at, yeah, they had yeah Mouse translated into Korean. It was just like one of the mm. books kids would read. And I had never really encountered this before. So I pick it up and I'm just like, whoa <laughs> like a comic book right. about the holocaust you know yeah it was it was uh it was it was interesting stuff of course it was well, all in korean so i couldn't really understand what was going on but well and in, interestingly ju- just like uh the 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 comics are you know judge murphy was saying oh i object to this panel you know i because of the sweat the sweat mm-hmm. is distasteful you know on the black man's face it's mm-hmm. not the fact that he's a black man you yes. know uh there's like some there's some uh, uh uh, distraction going on in in how they're choosing to to ban mouse they're not saying it's because it deals with the holocaust mm-hmm. they're saying it's because there's topless there's like nudity in it yeah. yeah there's some topless mice and you can kind of <laughs> and each nipple is a dot yeah <laughs> crude well, you know 
Now, from a scientific standpoint, I mean, I, I could see because there aren't enough nipples. Or not enough, you know. <laughs> There's yes, only the, two, as I recall. The nude yeah. mouse only had two teeth. Yeah. And that was. And that's, that's just anti science. I'm against that. that <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if I recall back in the 70s when, you know, the, the, the Holocaust miniseries, like, you know, I mean, obviously they, they, they did depict rather accurately, like, you know, that people were marched nude into the gas chambers. And I, mm-hmm. I believe that was part of, I mean, this is prime time, you know. CBS or ABC or something like that. And it's just like, there's just like naked people on television. Sure. But that was fine art and literature, not comics. Well, no, it's, and, well, and, yes. and, that's a, and that's the problem. You can't convince people that comics are literature and they are. Yeah. They can just... It's also context that the nudity in the, if, if I'm recalling correctly, cause I, I read red mouse a couple of times and we've got it on our shelf in a place of honor, but uh, the, the nudity, the, the mouse topless nudity was actually like a sex scene. That was like, <laughs> some remembered uh, adventures that the main character had uh, and, you know, Oh, and I shacked up this woman with this woman for a while and blah, blah, blah. And so they show the two of them in bed and it's Boy. mouse titties. I Sorry, believe can it, I say I them on your podcast? I, yeah. Yeah. That's perfectly yeah. fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> after, after cleaning up that, that, uh, that uh, four letter word that uh, the, the gain said, you, and you went into mouse titties. That's nice. Um, <laughs> I won't yeah, say, I, I, I don't, I'll say pound sand. Right. I don't but, remember. Uh, I don't remember. It's been a while since so I've read Mouse. Uh, is, is that in the framing sequence, or is that in the uh, flat? The, the... Uh, I think it's when the father's talking about uh, you know his adventures as a young man and how he okay. met. You know, so very not in the people. framing sequence. Gotcha. No, no. But in other words, the the nudity was in a sexual context. It wasn't mm-hmm. in a. It wasn't in a. You know, uh, here's naked prisoners being you know marched into a, de- a death camp. It was. Mm-hmm. It was. They were having fun while they were disrobed. So mm-hmm. it's. It, you can't have that. Yeah, I can't have that. Might give the kids ideas. My mm-hmm. gosh. No, All the balance remote, but no sex. Yeah. I do seem to recall back in the maybe the nineties, could have been the late eighties, but when like graphic novels started to become a big thing. So like mm-hmm. um uh, and sorry, I'm not a comic book person. So like 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 maybe like the Watchmen or or Sandman. I, I I'm just throwing some names out there, correct me if I'm wrong, but but there there's really a bit of a controversy there. Like I don't know, was it like these well, there's a lot of blue phallus in Watchmen. Okay, yeah, well, yeah, this is this is, this is true. It may, could could make some people uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, you know, you know especially the, the, I, I believe the the movie version had. Uh, oh yeah, they little... they went full frontal pretty yeah. early on the movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, even the movie version of uh, Heavy Metal, I think you know there was uh, there, you know. Well, Heavy Metal always had 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 its had its share of uh, of uh, jiggle core going on. Yeah, yeah, some male felt male full, right, right, frontal, but uh, yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, well, I mean, the, yeah, the the graphic novels. I mean, is, was that in was there any controversy in the graphic novels? Well, the difference is the graphic novels are, again, distributed differently. So the graphic novels are sold at originally primarily through comic shops, which were becoming a thing in the 80s. Um, so there wasn't as much problem with that because they were there was somebody there was somebody at the top, you know, you wouldn't just buying at the newsstand. There was somebody there who knew what was in the book and would tell you whether, you know, this, you should be buying that book or not. Um, and they were all, they were also more expensive. When you, when you get into graphic novel territory, right. you're going to be dropping 20, 30 bucks, even in right. the eighties. Yeah. Right. about heavy metal at the time. Heavy metal was, was big on the stands. That was about a, oh, I think a dollar fifty, dollar seventy five, and comics were still a quarter at the time. 
Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, one of the arguments uh, that the the moral crusaders had against comic books was that uh, kids could buy them with their pocket change, and like they'd go without their lunches to buy a comic. They'd uh, and they'd meet up secretly. They had all these uh, all these thoughts they put into parents' head heads, like on the way home from school, your child is meeting in back alleys and swapping their comic books for you know, more, you know, dangerous comic books. And they're, they're, yeah, there's some, these... some great, there's some great black and white footage is this, you know, uh, MSCK made fun of kind of stuff, uh, but it, it's similar to reefer badness, but right. replace reefer with comics. It's, yeah. it's hilarious and sad. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I seem to recall when we were young in the uh, early eighties, you know, like the, you know, how many miles we would walk. One of us had a quarter. Mm-hmm. And you know to walk to the Kmart to play asteroids, and it's like mm-hmm. I got a quarter. You can have a man. I'm going to play two. You can have my third. You know, just walk with me because you know Walkmans didn't exist, and I'm going to be incredibly bored. So you will be my you will be my entertainment on that walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Canada sounds boring. Uh, well, no, no, we were doing that here in the six in Connecticut too. Okay. <laughs> Well, no, but you would not be far off it. Yeah, Canada is not. Uh, yeah, can we? We ha- we have a. We like boring, actually. Okay. So it's it's a it's a it's a well, it's a feature, not a bug. I think in Canada. So, well, to, to be the good skeptic to round out here, I should right. point out that Frederick Wortham was not completely unopposed during okay. the time he was bringing all this up. Uh, a lot of parents liked to hear it because, of course, if their kid was <laughs> doing bad things and getting in trouble at school, they could blame it. On comic books, right. Frederick Wortham had like a a, a narrative, you know, mm-hmm. saying yes. like, uh, yes, I had a mother who was concerned because her child, blah, 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 you know, held up a liquor store. And uh, she was always such a good mother. But I assured her that it was not her fault. It was the comic books, which parents can't control for. So the government should. Right. Yeah. So it was it was an appealing idea to a lot <laughs> of parents. Um, but a lot of critics came after Wortham. Uh, uh, there were some uh, it published in the Journal of Education Sociology uh, in the early 50s. There was an article called Comics and Delinquency, Cause or Scapegoat by by another Frederick, a guy named Frederick Thrasher. And uh, I'm going to quote from him here. We may criticize Wortham's conclusions on many grounds, but the major weakness of his position is that it is not supported by research data. And that was the thing. Wortham's book was 400 pages of what ifs. Right, right. 400 pages of, I met a kid. He was a bad kid. He read comic books. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and the New Republic had a piece come out by Rule Denny. And it said, uh, seduction of uh, the innocent was a, quote, a tissue of troublesome points. And Wortham's research was not in any way scientific. And then lastly, uh, a fellow named Gunnar Dibwad. Dibwad? That's a weird name. Fun name to say, Gunnar Dibwad. Uh, the, he was the, the executive director of the Child Study Association of America. And he testified at the hearings uh, uh, against Wortham's whole ideas. And he said that seduction of the innocent was a mockery of research. And he hotly contested that people on various editorial boards, many that were in his association, uh, were somehow paid off by the industry and part of some grand conspiracy. And how do you think that turned out for uh, poor Gunnar Dibwad, the uh, the director of the Child Study Association of America? You have a story. <laughs> well, it was pretty much the end of the, the, uh. the organization because he did this 
in front of a bunch of senators who were determined oh. to skewer the whole industry. And mm. uh, immediately, Senator Kefauver, who we haven't really mentioned him, but he was the Tennessee senator that was big, you know, with the he was the main one with the pitchfork. Uh, you know, they accused him uh, of. Uh, in fact, being a front for the crime comics industry. And they tried to discredit his whole organization. And that was the end of the Child mm-hmm. Study Association of America. I've got a okay. oh, sorry. I, I've got comics here with an X, which is uh, one of my dad's. My dad taught history through cartooning as a, his, as a history teacher. Oh, uh, and uh, Les Daniels. And in Les Daniels, again, this is really opinion from Les Daniels, but he looked at uh, Wortham's earlier book, which is a lurid case study of various really, really horrific things he dealt with and stories of uh, his various cases he dealt with and all in exquisite, painful detail. And Les thinks that eh, he might just you know, get off on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a different kind of uh, porn mentality going on. Yeah. Uh, uh, among the people who are so intent on showing the degenerative, you know, degenerate nature of, of one medium. But well, there, I, yeah, I mean, there is a certain sort of like, it's like, I, I think sometimes people are like, you know, I, I have no self-control. I don't right. want to admit that, but I, <laughs> so I need all of society to stop me, you know, right. like, yeah. but you know, but I'm not going to admit that I'm the one with the problem. Society is to blame. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And comics. Exactly. <laughs> I was going. I was going to ask: Have either of you read the uh, the Amazing Adventures of uh, Cavalier and Clay? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I was okay. going to recommend that actually. If anybody wanted to read, okay. uh, the, the last thing we have on the, the little note section here is uh, any books that people want to read uh, to get into comics culture or the comics moral panic uh any any further and the adventures of cavalier and clay it's just such a rich yeah uh it's it's not a history book it's not a a a scholarly account of comics culture but it's a novel set in the heyday of the comics and it surrounds the story of two comics creators kind of loosely heavily loosely heavy heavily based on uh, uh schuster and um it tells the truth in a way that only fiction can. <laughs> yes, 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 a yes. good way. A good way yeah. of putting it. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. creators of Superman. It, it's loosely based on the creators of yeah. Superman. Yeah, because uh, uh, go ahead. I, I think I, I think it's Goebbels. One of one of one of Hitler's goons actually accused Hitler, uh, uh, Superman of being a Jew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Kryptonian. Is that a Jew? <laughs> Created by two Jews, so he's right. He was absolutely well, so, exactly. so he's under suspicion. Exactly, and yeah. and and they 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 took the concept of Ubermensch from from Nietzsche, and which really pissed off the Germans. Right, the Nazis, not the Germans. The Nazis, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I like, yeah, I, I'm not. I mean, I, I didn't really read comics growing up, but like, I, I liked some of like the the horror comics when I was, you know, when I was like, you know. A, boy but um so yeah but when i read the amazing adventures of you know cavalier and clay like it's just like oh th- that kind of got me interested in the whole like i you know the whole um you know that that sort of golden age and and then you know the comics book code and all that sort of stuff so it was quite quite fascinating but well, yeah but i was just wondering if people who actually know and live comics do they read that and they go man that just that just doesn't say anything but i'm glad to know that you know, I, it, 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 
it, it said to me what it would say to it should have said, I guess, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't around in those days, despite how old Kolochi keeps accusing me of being. But uh, <laughs> from everything from everything I've read, it's not, it's, it, it rings true. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've got you've got quite a lot. Of, we're we're yeah. obviously doing this over I, Zoom. You've got quite a lot of gray in your beard. So yeah, uh, I, gotta get, I gotta get rid of some mountain man beard. <laughs> So, yeah. so, so I'm just, I'm just hoping and praying. God, let this guy kind of be around my age too. So. Yeah, I'm a little older than he, just a touch. Okay, okay, right. yeah. Well, uh, more books. I'm sure Andy's got a few he can recommend. I'm going to throw out my two recommendations here. Uh, well, anything by Scott McCloud. If you want to learn about comics uh, as an art form, Scott McCloud is fantastic. Uh, and and uh, Comic Book Nation by Bradford Wright, uh, which I edited years ago. And then the Ten Cent Plague by David Hadju, uh, the, the t- subtitle of that the Ten Cent Plague, the Great Comic Book Scare, and how it changed America. Okay, all right. Well, we, we can wrap up. So, um, all right. Uh, I, my, you know, my usual question is, you know, if someone ever met you at a uh, conference or a skeptical conference or a comic book or something like that conference and said, oh, I heard you on the Conspiracy Skeptic podcast. Can I buy you a drink? Uh, what, what would you what would you have them buy you? Mm. Typically rum and coke these days. Rum and coke? All mm-hmm. right. All right. Or, or if I get fancy, a Cuba Libra, which is rum and coke. Okay. Fancier. <laughs> Fancier. <laughs> Celestia, what, what, what would... Uh, what it, de- the- it, it depends on the fresh produce behind the bar. If they have have mint, I want a mojito. Okay. Uh, If they have a a good Bloody Mary mix and some celery, I would like a Bloody Mary. All right. So you don't want to drink. You want to have vegetables. Yes. It's the only way I get my vegetables is paired paired with alcohol. (laughs) All right. And Andrew, so what what is the name of your podcast again, Andrew? Uh, Geek Shock. It's uh, it's available on any uh, podcasting you want to go on to. And and again, I will warn you, it can get a little uh, a little blue. It's, it's, it's got the explicit tag and it's a very long running podcast. When Andy started that podcast, his beard was entirely brown. All right. Yeah. In fact, I wasn't there when they started it. Um, (laughs) It's, it's up in the 600s. It's like 650 or something crazy. Yeah. And and you also do uh, you you do comic books? Is there something? I haven't done any comics in a little while. Um, I'm, I'm I'm actually a character artist also. So that's a way way I make a lot of my money. Um, okay. If you can find it out there, and I hope it will be a second printing, I did. I illustrated uh, sort of a skeptical children's book called uh, the Christmas Puss, the Christmas Octopus, okay. which is a traditional story of the Christmas octopus that brings children sausage, whether they're good <laughs> or bad. <laughs> like Santa, but not so judgy. Yeah. That's great, right? Yeah. And Celestia, you you offer sign uh, square, squaring the strange, and square, squaring, squaring the strange. The, yeah. yeah, with 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 Ben and um, he's, he's only like, R- <laughs> sorry Pas- with no Pasquale. clue with no Pasquale. clue Pasquale yes. Romero. I, uh, sorry, I I love I love Pasquale. Not that I I think you and Ben are not pulling your weight, but but I, I will I will admit. When I listen to your podcast, you're like, Pasquale can't join us today. I'm just a bit like. Yeah. Well, hey, the fact that you couldn't remember his name, I'll bring that up and say, you need to be like, make sure you can get to all the recording sessions. Exactly. He's busy being a rock star. Come on. Yeah. He, he is busy being a rock star. Right. Yeah. But yeah. We but have it's... an interesting makeup between like a, a cartoonist slash, uh, you know, a former academic slash current cartoonist uh, slash PR person in me. And then you got. 
Pasquale, who's an engineer, a sound engineer slash heavy metal rock star, and Ben, who's a paranormal investigator and and writer and a, a, a clothespin collector and <laughs> expert on expert on scary clowns and the world's foremost expert on scary clowns and chupacabras and the chupacabra, yeah. Yeah, but he's picked a lot. I, what of, is the connection between chupacabras and clowns? I need to know. I think you need to draw that. <laughs> I, I, I like to I think of like say Celestia. I like to think of you. You're the moral center of the podcast. That, the moral uh, center. The moral, the moral, you 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 bring you bring them back to like you know, guys. <laughs> you're the creamy binding center of the show. <laughs> you're the moral. You're the moral moral, moral moral center. And then you also do um, two heads studio you do um our website is kind of uh not not quite out not not quite back in full functioning form because i've been too busy with other stuff to actually get back to that aspect of updating the the website but if you go ahead to two if you go to two head studios.com you will find a way to connect with me if you simply must have a, a a something illustrated or drawn by me that's how you contact me and people can just email you a picture and you will do a caricature not for free of course if if i have time to put it on the roster uh, it's been amazing as the pandemic sort of lifts everybody's having uh activities and so i'm booked Uh, oh oh, that's that's good okay which is good which is good you 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 had an interesting thing on um data skeptic where uh and i i completely like i i completely understood how this pleased you when most people think this is the worst thing for industry where you know computer software is being able to do caricature artist stuff and you're you're like no that's Any great no, yeah, no, yeah well you're no. like because people will go like i'd love to you know my grandmother for you know can I give you $5 for this? And you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like you got to pay me real money. Well, and- we're, we're, yeah, we're talking about the, we were talking about the apps and the, yeah, yeah. the, the AI that will do, they will take a photograph and kind of right. fuzz it into something that vaguely looks, vaguely looks like a Disney esque Pixar esque okay. kind of cartoony thing. It's basically just, you know, filters. And yeah, if, if you get a, if you get a, a potential client who's like super cheap, yeah. you, rather than being angry that these apps exist, you say, oh, you can't afford a hand-drawn caricature, but you can get this app for $5. Now go away. Exactly. I can get this sent for five bucks on Fiverr. Well, you get what you pay for. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I thought that was brilliant. It, yeah. It does give you a way of just, just go this way. Go away. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, oh, sorry, Andrew. And you, you, so you, I don't want to just, you know, just. I'm not you. as, I'm not as good okay. on the web right now. I'm, I'm okay. kind of, uh, I've kind of got a full time okay. gig as a caregiver until things right. blow yes. over. But uh, yeah, and yeah, he's taking a forced sabbatical by the yeah. pandemic. You and really by- need to get hold of me for artwork. Talk to Celestia. Okay. <laughs> You'll probably do it anyways. Okay. okay, great. All right, then. Well, I, I will let you guys go. Thank you. Thank you so much. And bye. Thanks for having us. I, I do appreciate you covering out some time for me. This is, this is, this is great. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It was a lot right. of fun. Have a good night, all. Bye-bye.